0: Welcome to the Great Loop Radio podcast, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. And today we're continuing our story of our loop series with a little bit of a twist today Um, but ultimately we will be talking about bruce and maggie tate's great loop aboard their ranger tug so we'll bring in bruce and maggie in just a minute but i want to take a moment as always to recognize and thank our admiral sponsors who support aglca at the highest level they are curtis stokes and associates great loop yacht sales passagemaker trawler fest and skipper bob publications we encourage all of our listeners and viewers to support these businesses that support The Great Loop. And with the business out of the way, I want to welcome Bruce and Maggie Tate. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, it's, it's great to see you. I saw you a couple of weeks ago in Chattanooga, and we enjoyed catching up since we had seen each other on The Loop a few times. Um, but for those who don't know you yet, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourselves.
1: Bruce, you want to take it?
2: Sure. my name is Bruce, and and I am a um, I'm a programmer and um, own a training business. But a couple of years ago, we were loopers, and we did that for about nine months. And um, we took the Maggie and I uh, took a nine month great loop with with our dog uh, at the time uh, Emmy.
0: Yeah, and the first question everybody always has about. The great loop adventures are about the boat. So tell us a little bit about the boat that you selected. That was the perfect boat for the two of you and for Emmy.
1: So we picked a Ranger Tug R-29. I, um, we wanted the smallest boat that would work for us and um, that just fit for what we needed. We were not boaters ahead of doing the loop. We had a pontoon. And Mm -hmm. so we didn't want to go too much in length. And so the ranger tag felt good. We went to go stand on a 27. Uh, We went to go check a one out in Nashville. And I was like, I don't, it's too narrow. It was only eight feet wide. And I thought, I don't think Mm -hmm. I can do this for a year, but people, plenty of people do, right? Mm -hmm. But I just didn't think I could do it. So when we found a R29 that was available, every one that we had called on, they were all sold already. And so we found this one and it was ready and it was Florida, and so we talked about it and we're like, we better send a deposit in the next day. So we sent a deposit in um, and went down to visit it and decided that was the right one for us.
2: You know, I, I think that we did all kinds of things that we, we tell our kids never to do, right? Never buy merchandise, <laughs> sight never get in a car with a stranger, never, you know, stay, stay with somebody that you've never met. We did all these things on the great loop and, you know, fortunately it worked out for us.
0: Yeah, it's a (laughs) different, it's kind of, you know, you're right about the things you tell your kids not to do, but somehow that all becomes doable and reasonable and safe on the Great Loops.
1: Totally. Everybody's good.
0: (laughs) So, and your boat's name is Currently. So tell us about that because there's usually great stories behind boat names.
1: Oh yeah. So we went through a couple of iterations. Um, Our kids, our adult children had done the um, Camino de Santiago in Spain and so one of the iterations was going to be Rio Camino, but Reese has some Spanish-speaking friends that were like, "No, you cannot do that. That's not the <laughs> right way to say it." <laughs> and mm-hmm. we're like, "Okay, so scratch that one." And then current plans was one of them. And eventually, because we live on the Tennessee River and we watch the you know the current go by, um, and the idea for us for the loop was to really be in the moment. We decided to name the boat currently. Yeah.
0: And there's so many different directions this conversation can go because of course you had a, a pet aboard, um you lived in a smaller boat, you worked aboard. And let's talk about that for a minute because it um it's becoming more and more popular for people to work aboard the loop. So tell us a little bit about how you made that work for you.
2: That's yeah, and I would say that <laughs> I would say that we worked aboard the the loop and and I'm I'm waving my fingers around doing finger quotes and you know, the reason is that that that's true is that our the, the, the year that we left the Tennessee River was in near flood. Um, you know, we had we had boats sink in the lock there was there's a boat that sank in the Coffeeville lock. there was a lot of debris that was going down and as that was happening, we didn't get the time for me to write or Maggie to edit that we expected but we were able to to stop for long enough periods of time and this is one of the the things that the Ranger tug did really well. We could, we could skip ahead a little bit, park ourselves for a bit and teach a class. And that was kind of the, the core of our business. And we probably taught, what would you say, six or seven classes on the loop, something like that, Maggie?
1: Yeah, I was thinking it was at least one a month while we were away. And that worked out um, worked out with the weather, we could pull off and it was convenient. Um, Bruce was able to, at the time Starlink was not available, right? Mm-hmm. So we ended up using a pep wave and it was able to stitch together Cell signals, So our phones had T-Mobile and the PEP wave had Verizon and AT&T. So I like somebody had to have something working <laughs> for most of the places where we stopped. So that was to able say, to work.
2: And I want to say that we gave two keynotes also. I gave a, a keynote talk to um, to in Nairobi, Kenya remotely and another one to um, I want to say it was Bangalore, India. And um, I mean, we we always had great connections in the places that we stayed. A little bit dicey at Palm Coast, but it turned out to be, to work out just fine.
0: Yeah. And just for those, because connectivity, whether you're working aboard, we all just expect so. Whether it's for work or something um, that those working aboard might deem less important than work, (laughs) but for whatever your reason to be connected, it's important to you. So that's always a big question. Um, And Bruce, just to be clear for everyone who doesn't know what Bruce does, when he's talking about teaching a class, he's doing that all virtually, and it's several hours a day for several days consecutively, correct? So you really needed to have great connectivity and the pep wave worked well for you.
2: That's right. I mean, the, the pep wave was was fantastic, and mm-hmm. we did we did call ahead and we knew we knew probably uh, probably two or three months in advance when our classes were gonna book, but the way the loop breaks, you don't know exactly where your weather breaks are going to be. So we had three or four options of places that we could stop that were going to give us connectivity, either from the marina itself or I think in Avalanche we didn't have great connectivity from the marina, but we were parked right under an at t cell tower. So we thought that was going to be okay.
0: Well, and that, for those who have been to Apalachicola, they know it's a pretty small town um, and not too close to any big cities. So the fact that you were able to conduct that kind of remote training um, is pretty amazing. Uh, so for those who maybe Starlink's not your thing, I, I don't know what the cost of the PEP wave is. Is it comparative to, like, let's say Starlink that's, you know, 150 a month or so, depending on the, the plan you have?
2: I think, yeah, I think I've... that that's... That's about what it was, and and um, we we had to buy the device. And um, the the nice thing about the Pepway for us was that mm-hmm. the power the power requirements were so low, and so we needed to be connected underway, and we need to need to be able to power that mostly with our alternator, and we could.
0: Right. So I want to shift a little bit, um, and one of the reasons that we're doing this today is that you wrote a book about your experiences that is getting ready to be published. So, you know, tell us what made you decide to share this through a book? And um, when in the journey, did you realize that, you know, there was a story in the making here?
2: Well, I want to give this to Maggie first to talk about the blog and the Instagram that we did, because that kind of kicked things off.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. So we knew we wanted to document the trip. I had anticipated that our Instagram account for the boat, which is, um, I suppose is it currently underscore the underscore boat was the Instagram handle. And I had wanted to use that as a photo journal for me. Um, And then we started writing a blog because people wanted to know how the trip was going and our experience of it. And at some point during that, people started telling us uh, that Bruce, you got to write a book, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, stopped doing some of the blog as much. Um, and then when we came home, so we, when we started the trip, we had no anticipation of writing a book about it and knew we wanted to keep a blog in the, the photo journal. But, um, when Bruce got home, I think part of that was his way to process and ready to re-enter, right after the loop. And so mm-hmm. he spent probably six to eight weeks just banging out the book. Right. So a lot of it had started, on the trip already based on the blog he had started writing the book itself toward the end of the trip and then finished it up um about two months after we got home
2: yeah yeah and kim i want to say that there's something that you don't know about me i'm a okay. best-selling author i'm actually a <laughs> number seven best-selling author and maggie knows that that's funny because it's true that i was between uh let's see who was it it was Stephen
1: Hawking and John Grisham. And John Grisham. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. It, impressive. It, seven. for
2: one hour.
1: <laughs> and you might
2: ask yourself, what's that worth at three o'clock in the morning? Uh, not very much, it turns out.
1: But, <laughs> but um, it was a technical yes. book that he had written. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, and I think that one of the things that you could do as a technical author is kind of shut down your emotional side. And I've never been that kind of author in the first couple of books that I wrote, I even talked about learning channels. How do you get people to on board with what you're trying to say? And, and the idea is that by building metaphors, you can kind of bring people along. And, and some of the metaphors were that, that have gone particularly well, or at least um, have, have picked up people's curiosity. One was extreme sports stories gone bad. And um, another one was movie characters and in a book called seven languages in seven weeks, we compare movie characters to these programming languages. So when somebody went from page 89 to 90 and they had to move their head, we had a way to kind of bring them along. And so I'm used to trying to connect with people, but never quite in this way. And I've always wanted to try my hand at this kind of writing and probably you know, I, I probably would have said that this is not in the cards when when we started a loop because we weren't really keeping keeping notes and records that that well. And then, as the loop went along, and we were we were encountering so many what profound emotions. we were having so many profound experiences. The people that we were connecting with were kind of going through many of the same things that we were. There's a lot of depression that people were breaking out of because of the COVID experience. Um, There There's all all of this political turmoil in the country, and all of this was going on alongside the loop. So we were feeling pretty deeply. And I would say that probably around the time that we got to New York, our friends were saying, look, this is a story that needs to be told. It has to get out there. And maybe, Bruce, it's not first a boating story, maybe it's first a story about personal experience.
0: Yeah, and it is, you have uh, given me the luxury of kind of a preview copy that I am really enjoying. Let's go ahead and, and take a quick break, but I want to come back and I want to follow up on this idea Bruce that you were just kind of talking about um because that really is what the the book is. It it reads not like a technical manual on how to do the loop, which uh knowing you before I read the book is kind of what I was expecting. Um I didn't know you were a best-selling author though, but I did know you had written some technical books. Um but it is really, you know, a very good combination of the practical side of looping. Um but also sharing, you know, deeply personal moments and stories, which makes it a very interesting read. So I do want to jump into that some more. Uh, We'll be back in a moment. Curtis Stokes & Associates is a yacht brokerage company that specializes in Great Loop capable boats. Curtis Stokes is a supporter of AGLCA at the Admiral level. If you're looking to buy or sell a Great Loop veteran from a trusted and knowledgeable broker, visit the company on the web at curtisstokes.net. Email Stokes curtis-stokes at curtisstokes.net or call 954-684-0218. Pebble Isle Marina is the perfect stop for AGLCA members to enjoy docktails, conveniently located in a sheltered harbor on the Tennessee River in mile marker 96. The marina's 600 plus feet of transient dockage offers slips convenient to all amenities and can accommodate boats of all styles and sizes up to 100 feet in length. Our fuel dock offers ethanol-free gas and high-speed diesel pumps with a ship store for supplies. Our floating seasonal restaurant offers beautiful views of Kentucky Lake from the patio. Check out the Pebble Isle website for details of special offers for AGLCA members. We're back on the Great Loop Radio podcast. My guests today are Bruce and Maggie Tate. They are aboard or were aboard currently, was their Ranger Tug for the Great Loop, which they have since sold. Um, And we are chatting about their new book that is coming out. Um, And Bruce was just kind of sharing a little bit about the place that he came from in writing the book. And as I said, it's, you know, those who are looking for a how-to manual for the Great Loop, it's not quite that, but you will still get enough practical information to make it worth the read but what also you get mixed in there are some really great stories about the great loop which lots of loopers have but not everybody is as adept at putting pen to paper and sharing them um, as Bruce and Maggie but you also get those deeply personal emotional moments which is really um, what kind of sets it apart so tell me what it was like um, whichever one of you wants to take this but you know you did share You looped in a time when there was a lot of turmoil everywhere. Um, You, you know, very much are open and sharing in your book about it was a struggle for the two of you after the COVID isolation. Um, Talk about that. You know, how how did it feel to
1: be sharing those deeply personal things? I think. um, So a long time ago, a friend of mine told me this beautiful thing that anything human is mentionable and anything mentionable is manageable. And so for us to be able to express and share kind of stuff that was happening and why we started the trip and some of the challenges that went on the trip, it was, um, it's a way to connect. It's a way to let people know that the normal feelings are normal (laughs) and life. The life is not always easy, you know, and, um, and sometimes you just need some extra tools in your toolbox to get out of whatever situation you're in. And so Mm -hmm. when, um, we started thinking about the loop um, years ago when Bruce had helped a friend bring a boat up one of the river systems from Florida. And that's when they first heard, that's when he first heard about the loop and he came home from the trip and told me about the loop. And I'm like, wow, that sounds like fun. And so years go by and we're in the midst of COVID and friends of mine had kept telling me, you need to read this book from what is to what if. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and I finally decided, okay, I need something to, to, like shake me out of whatever funk I'm in. Mid COVID here is terrible, and so I read the book. And really, there's a lot of city planning in the book, but a lot of it is really about reimagining your circumstances. And so I thought, okay, I need something to look forward to. So I like boats. So why don't we look forward to doing the loop someday? And in my head, I'm thinking like four years down the road. And in it, um, anyway, it happened much faster than that. I started reading mm-hmm. The Great Loop Experience, and Bruce saw me reading it, and he's like, hi. I think this is going to happen. So that's how we started. But as far as um, I feel like we're pretty much open books, you know, we're very happy to share our experience. And, and uh, I think sometimes just people need to know somebody else is going through the stuff too. Yeah, absolutely. And I would Go
0: say ahead,
2: that, and it's funny, I can, I can see the stairs. It's I'm downstairs and she's upstairs. We're not on boats. Uh, and mm-hmm. I could see the stairs that I was on when she was in the chair's Right at the bottom of the stairs, reading the book, and I asked her what she was reading. And she said the great loop experience and I almost fell down the stairs. I mean, it was kind <laughs> of it's mm-hmm. it's you know, in the book I say that there are times in my life that I'll always remember. And when Maggie talks about reimagining circumstance, that's what it did for us. And even though there were hard times when we started the loop, like, and I, I want to say. It was really difficult when, when we started. We, we bought this this Ranger Tug. We'd never seen um, anything longer than a pontoon. Um, you know, they, they basically dropped the boat off. It's pointing right back at the dock. And we were just there yesterday with a friend that's coming around on their Ranger Tug. And, and I, I was looking at that spot, remembering that I didn't have both thrusters because, you know, that was one of the things that we were working out in the purchase and, um, we couldn't turn this boat around, you know, and, you know, we, we write about this idea of trying to, um, try to even get to the initial slip after they dropped the boat out. And, you know, Maggie said, you're going to hit the dock. You're going to hit the dock. You're going to hit the dock. If you don't turn right now, you're going to hit the dock. And mm-hmm. I did, you know, I kissed it just a little bit, just A little bit of currently blue was on the dock and a little bit of the, the brown plastic was on currently, but, but we survived it. And then Maggie said, you're going to hit the boat. You're going to hit the yacht. You're going to hit the $10 million yacht. If you don't turn (laughs) right now, you're going to hit the yacht. (laughs) And at that time, I just remembered something that I read along the way and I turned into it, you know, and, and, you know, hit the throttle a little bit. And, um, you know, we, we wound up not hitting the yacht in the middle of the lake just kind of shaking and staring e- at each other and saying, We have made a terrible mistake. <laughs> okay.
1: Made a terrible mistake. We got to the slip and it was like big enough for a runway. And we're like, we're just so glad to be here. We tied it up. And I'm like, we have to go home now.
2: <laughs> yes. that. And never do anything. And and then it got it got more fun, but it didn't get easier. I can remember on the third day of the of the loop. I mean, nobody has ever seen six foot waves on the Tennessee that I'm aware of. And for us, we were just not uh, not familiar with the concept of fetch. And we went out in winds and winds back home meant that we were always protected and there were no big deal, but they were a big deal then. And so we had six foot waves. You know, they started at two and we were saying, hey, what a great boat we bought. And then they were up to four and they were hitting us right on the nose. And the boat was doing exactly what it wanted to and, um, and we were just having the time of our lives and Maggie brought out the video recorder and we got a couple of shots and then they went up to six and we said, we have got to get out the river. I mean, I couldn't see anything. And I was counting um, nine commercial AIS targets because nobody in their like minds would be, would be out in the middle of that river in 20 something degrees. And um, but my goodness, we couldn't see anything. And, um, you know, Maggie's like, frantically looking for for books and she says oh there's a little place called treasure chest which you know don't look it up it doesn't exist it's called jay's landing now but Mm -hmm. um i turned I, i basically hit the throttle um and then and then cut the helm over and maggie turned around and looked at me as if she was asking is it tuesday she said bruce are we gonna die (laughs) <laughs> and so died. we didn't die right <laughs> we, we kind of cut through the layer of mm-hmm. silt and and kissed the bottom you know probably harder than i'd like to admit and um then we kind of tied into this marina that's that's had all these bad times right they had they had fires and um they had a pontoon wreck and so you know one of the is leaning and there's all this fire damage and there's um you know people that hadn't been out and, and boats that hadn't been out in um, probably five months. And, um, you know, we're looking around saying, oh my goodness. And then, and then people told us, Hey, um, how did you get in here? And you won't be able to get out until, well, next, uh, well, June, really. <laughs> and We're saying <laughs> our loop <laughs> is over, right?
0: We're done. We're finished. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. That whole winter pool thing on the Tennessee river. <laughs> it's
1: real. Yeah, it, it is real. real.
0: It's but real. so and you're you, that's one of the stories that you share in the book um, that's that's really engaging. And part of the reason it was hard um, at first, besides the fact that everything was new, was that you did kind of leave it an unusual time and it was cold. Um, right. But so, when did it start? I don't want to say when did it start being easy because that potentially is never. But when did it stop being, you know, a daily exercise in how hard this is?
2: You know. Even at the worst of days, um, we were engaged and we were enjoying ourselves. And it was difficult, but it was, it was a fun adventure. But I catch your meaning, and I remember the incident that it was for me, and it was a little bit different from Maggie. It was a little couple of stops down. For me, it was uh, we were, I think, right off of Panama City in one of the um, little bays there.
1: Talk to Hitachi or something like
2: that. (laughs) And we had just been passed by a warship and Maggie was driving at the time and um, it just rocked her hard. And she like turned around and beamed and her coffee was just barely spilled, (laughs) right? After navigating this, this perfectly formed four foot wake. And it wasn't that it was four feet. It was that it was coming so fast and hard and it was like the bonsai pipeline smooth. And then it bounced off some kind of rock or something and hit us unaware uh, from the other side, and I mean, we we had this phrase, um, you know, and Maggie Maggie uh, you know makes these <laughs> has this struggle we <laughs> set reflex where her elbows will fly up, and we have this phrase where you know one of us will put a hand on the shoulder and say. Perhaps I could be of some assistance. <laughs> and then normally, <laughs> yes, please take the help from me, you know? Yeah. And so, so um, I said that, but I was driving. And um we'd been waiting for all the dolphins that we heard about. And um, we saw Maggie says, Hey, there's some dolphins um peeling away. And then it's like, oh, Bruce, there's a whole pot of dolphins. And I mean, we normally have this, this, this great communication, but I was like Forrest. I mean, I ran away from the helm, ran to the back of the boat and say, (laughs) dolphins, where? Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I'm looking at the front and I'm looking and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And, you know, the front and the pressure wave, that's where they're going to be. Right. And there was nothing. And so I turned around and a dolphin almost hit me in the face. And I turned around (laughs) and there's 10 dolphins playing in the wake. I mean, first it was three, then it was seven. And then there was a back row with all these young dolphins and I just melted. It just, yeah. all the, the depression and the sadness from work, it just, it felt like it was going to be okay. And it felt like we were part of something bigger. And that's what I've been looking for.
1: Yeah. I think I think for me, it was, um, it felt like less of a grind. We really worked hard to get down to the coast because we were just fleeing the cold weather on the rivers. And so once we got down to Lulu's, it felt like we've made it. Okay. We're here. We're going to be an in intercoastal waterway. That feels good. But the comfort and the, um, my kind of expansive moment happened when we pulled into Miami, we stayed in dinner key for a week and it just felt so good to be, uh, to recognize how far we'd come, you know, we'd come down the rivers and we'd gone through the golf part and we'd gone through the keys and then circled back around. And I, I think for me, um, I feel like it took a couple of months to kind of get into the flow. And then it almost is longer, longer. Once we got home to get back into the flow of, of, you know, land life again. Yeah. Coming back is a big change too. I think that's why mm-hmm. we're still avoiding it. Yeah. <laughs> <aboard.
0: laughs> yes.
1: yes. But, you know,
0: a lot of people ask me about, you know, how is the loop different than I expected it to be? And the best answer I've been able to come up with is that, you know, It's just everything you expect, but more so. So the highs are higher than you would have imagined. The lows are lower than you would have imagined. So, you know, tell us about some of of your highs. I'm sure the Dolphin Experience is one of them, but some of the highs and then also, you know, some of the lows, because we all have the good and the bad days out here. So go ahead and share some of
1: yours. So I think some of the highs for me would be, um, of course, the people that we got to meet That was amazing. And that continued the entire nine month journey. I I would say that that was really the best thing about it was meeting all the different voters. It was an incredible um, community. And I felt like when we left, we were leaving one loving community and moving into another community, right? A loving community. It was just so good to be with those people. Um, I loved the cities that we got to see, um, traveling through Canada and Ottawa uh, and seeing Montreal. Those were unbelievable experiences. Um, Really phenomenal. And I think for me, the lows. um, I think when our dog died on on board, that was really, that was tough. That was really tough. She was such an old dog, and we weren't even sure she was going to be able to make it with us. But every time I take her to the vet before we left, I'm like, "Is she good? Are you sure?" (laughs) You know, like she's fine, okay. But you know, she's a 14 year old Australian Shepherd Golden Retriever mix, and it was just. Um, such a delight to have her up until the midpoint in Canada when she died, and it was just so good. Our our uh, future son in law said she had a heck of a victory lap, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, she did. That was really yeah,
2: good. Not a curmudgeon, right? It's like some of these dogs get old and, and mean, and she got old and happy and yeah. sweet. And she gentle. was awesome. And
1: mm-hmm.
2: Probably um, just a less than a week before she died, we were in Kingston, and um, she was up up, you know with the with her paws on on the um on the transom gate and um the fireworks were going and reflected in the water and she was just barking you know wagging and saying did you see that did you know what the fireworks <laughs> were really about yeah I we were there now i get it and it was so great her up. we just yeah. we just let the the place let her was, experience yeah. the place
1: such a fun canada day <laughs> it was awesome yeah, for sure yeah and so, i want to say I want to say for
2: me, um, I want to say for me that probably one of my highs and one of my lows was, was within a couple of days of each other (laughs) was definitely one way, one way of, uh, one day of running. Now you do such a good job of telling us what to, um, what to look out for and looking out for the community and just kind of putting these, these hints out, like don't go into New York on fleet day. (laughs) <laughs> so, so that the was day right before, after I met
0: you too I know where this story's yeah, going Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, so
2: it's funny the, the day before we probably had our best days of um as as captains on the loop where we were we were running with um with Tony Tony Long on long recess and um gosh my goodness what a what a good time that we had we had probably a hundred and 30 something mile day where we where some of it was inside and some of it was outside and inside in Jersey uh, for those of those of your listeners that that don't know, um, probably the most, the most shallow that we saw was, um, you know, the, the depth sounder was, was reading zero, you know, probably, um, probably three or three and a half feet at the deepest. Um, but, and then we would cut outside to, to kind of make up some time and, and, um, And try to shave off a little bit of of the weather by running inside and we just timed everything perfectly we we hit barnegat which is a pretty pretty big inlet Um, and we hit that at complete slack tide with the with the wind doing completely what what we expected it to we had bail plans everywhere i mean we just felt like we were in control and then we came into um we came into new york um, fleet day and you know we had read that the, the the parade start at nine o'clock. And of course, we're reading and thinking, oh, well, they're going to come in at nine o'clock. No, of course, they're coming in at the same time that we are. And, um, and I just, I, I'm a little bit of a dyslexic and um, I could not process uh, being kind of squeezed down. You know, the Hudson River has all these ferries and the fleet was taking up 80% of the river. So all these ferries that kind of shot back and forth were condensed to uh, like 20% of the river and there was a cargo ship going out at the same time. So the police boats were saying, you know, you're about to be encroaching on our bubble. You know, we'd been kind of watching the bubble and staying outside of it, but we were kind of close. And then, you know, so the, the fleet police point one way. And I think that you sent us a a picture of that (laughs) and um, and the Harbor police pulled up to us and they, they said, No, we've got, we've got our ship coming out and they point the other way, right at the fleet. Right. So I just, I just kind of, I got promoted to head photographer, said, (laughs) go back to the back of the boat, take some pictures. I said, but I, she said, take some pictures and I, you know, kind of slunk (laughs) off with the camera and I think I got a a shot or two of long recess at the Statue of Liberty.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we were actually that day, uh, I think we were still in Staten Island, but we were getting uh, text updates from Karen Long on Long yes. Recess. <laughs> and um, Michael and I were just, you know, Karen's like, we're the fleet. So we went and looked on one of the cameras uh, that you can find online, I think is how we found it, but for the Statue of Liberty. Um, and we could see your two little ranger tugs right there between all the big ships. So um, I think that's the picture we sent out, but that was a fun a fun story yeah. for us who were not <laughs> trying yes. not to run
1: through with the fleet. But um, yeah, these note are... to future loopers, do not go during fleet week ever. Yes, yes. <laughs> not, Lots not that of big, I think that... big Navy ships coming in.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I think that, that two days before you giving us the speech, you know bruce someday you're the show some days you watch a show that day we were the show you know oh yeah it's funny (laughs) it happens
0: to us all yeah but
2: but tony was so cool during this whole process you know and (laughs) and, um and karen was was great it's like when she was out of the waves it's funny the the couple of days before we'd been running and getting knocked around pretty good in our little ranger tugs out Mm -hmm. in the big surf Mm -hmm. um of the atlantic yeah. And, um, so I called Karen just to see how she was right. Just to kind of check in and, and say, it's going to be okay. You know, we saw that this was going to happen in our weather reports. Maybe it's a little bigger, but it's going to lay down. And so I was calling and saying, Hey, long recess, how's it going? And, and Karen had been manning, manning the radar. And then there was like a silence. And then after a little silence, Tony's voice came on he says, just fine, <laughs> and I said, "Put Karen on," and she said, "Just fine."
0: <laughs> yeah, fun times for sure, and, and great memories. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it probably most people, you know, say that the loop kind of they they're different when they come back. Um, and especially in your circumstances, since you were, you know, very frank about kind of the, those lows of post-COVID and, and trying to kind of get your mojo back. Yeah. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about how the loop changed the two of you.
2: Yeah, one, so. Um, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Megan.
1: No, no, go ahead. You know, you do it.
2: Yeah, so one of the things that, that you mentioned was was our dog died. And that, that was maybe the low moment on the loop. But in, in the same couple of months that we were in Canada... We also caught COVID two times each, and I lost my brother. And so all that was happening, and um, so I never was super close to my brother. Um, but I mean, having all that happen was just an awful lot. And um, so also, th- well, I guess trying to get trying to get my head together for this question because it's, it's an emotional moment for me. But we were dealing with these serious problems in some of the most beautiful places on earth, and we were doing doing these things with with people that we really trusted, and that we really enjoyed being with. Uh, so Al and Arlene on Arion were with us, and um, even we when we got COVID, um, we kept our we kept our distance and we did docktails sometimes boat to boat. Sometimes we were on one side of their boat with a mask and they were on the other. Um, But they didn't leave us. And um, so dealing with those problems and those circumstances was a big deal. So there was another time when um, we went through um, Marco Island. And I remember the day that it was uh, because uh, Ukraine was invaded that day. And the language that I work with, which is the Elixir programming language, was invented by a, a Brazilian man who's living in Poland right now. And um every time that I had seen him when um, when I took a trip there, we would kind of go amongst the programming community, which was thick with Ukrainians and and that kind of exuberance and joy. and to see many of the same types of people as refugees was just super oppressive. And so um, so handling all this stuff on the loop was 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 a big deal for me. But one of the things that was interesting was that even though these intensely, um, intense news events, these intense political events, these intense pandemics were happening all in one place, we didn't hate each other, right? We, we had a, we had a, um, we had conversations with people from all lives. We probably spent, um, probably as much of our time. I mean, I couldn't even tell you the political persuasion of the people that we were running with um, because that wasn't the biggest part of our lives right then. Right. Because the the biggest part of our lives were the, the adventure and the curiosity. And um, I think that that's such a big part of the overall loop experience for me.
0: Yeah. And I think that's really true, Bruce. And I think it's one of those things that people don't, you can't really understand till you experience it, but you know, out here nobody cares if you're in a 20-foot sailboat or a 60-foot Fleming. Nobody cares what you did in your past life. It is about the adventure and sharing the details and the information that keeps everybody safe and the community. And it it really is like no other because you're right, these intense world events are happening um, and people talk about it, but we don't see that division that you see in other parts of life if you dare, you know, Uh, just traips just a little bit into a political discussion and it immediately gets ugly and that just doesn't seem to happen and it's really pretty refreshing but Maggie anything from you on that you know how the loop might have changed you
1: yeah I think it helped me remember to be curious which was really refreshing Um, and it was lovely so one of the things that we decided to implement once we got home was a cocktails of sorts, and so we we loved meeting all the new people that we got to visit with on the loop, and we wanted to bring that back to our home. So we would have dinner parties with maybe six or eight other people, and have everybody in. And most of the time, the people didn't know each other, but it just felt like a wonderful opportunity to help people in Chattanooga who knew us kind of get to know mm-hmm. other people in Chattanooga. And so that's been really fun to to kind of have that um, keep on going. We fell off a little bit we got to get back on it and uh but part of it was because of that like one of the things that i there were some things that happened on the trip and when we came home i was a little nervous about some of the situations in the neighborhood and i thought okay if i want a better neighborhood i have to be a better neighbor and what does that look like to me right what does that look like how am i going to be involved in the community um and what are ways uh, to really reach out and do that. And and have, and have, honestly, the way to do it is to get to know people, right? And they're mm-hmm. going to be different. You're going to have different conversations. You're going to agree with some, you're not going to agree with other, but just to remember, we don't have to, you know, we can sit around a table and enjoy a meal and have a lovely time together. So um, no, I love the way of the you've kind of, we did. I love the
0: way you've translated the things uh, that you learned or, um, mm-hmm. you know, felt on the loop and adapted that to your home life. That's really, yeah. really cool. Um, so what, thoughts do you have for somebody who's maybe contemplating doing the loop any advice or suggestions do it <laughs> yes.
2: yeah it, mm-hmm. exactly like that so um when, when we after I, after me or i walked down this that's those stairs and maggie was reading from what is to what if and and we really had questions and and We were kind of contemplating this the way that people contemplate maybe going to climb St. Everett or Mount Mount Everest, but we walked down to a neighbor's house and and the neighbor, we asked the neighbor, should we go in four years? And then by then, it was probably two years. And she said, no, she said, your circumstance can change. You should go. You should go. This is something that will. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That your, your circumstances are right. And they might not be right again. And this will change you. And um, that's been the best advice that we've ever gotten.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. Um, so before we wrap up, we just want to know more about the book. I don't think we've we've covered the title. And, and tell people where they can find it.
2: Yes, the book is going to be called "Currently Away." The publisher has it. It's done. We just have our our capturing the the last few. Um, testimonial quotes um Mm -hmm. which um you know cam is going to be in in the book there Mm -hmm. but we have a um a blog it's the same blog that we carry while we were on the loop so you could read some of the stories but you can also sign up to help us um launching the book and if it's out we'll have the details there but the the blog is called currently the boat.com currently the boat.com the book is going to be called currently away and my Mm -hmm. name is bruce tate
0: yeah, so you'll be able to find it. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed the book so far. I still have a little bit to go, but I appreciate you sharing it with me. And as I said, it's just a really um, lovely combination of shared stories and experiences, along with your very personal thoughts about some of those experiences, and and enough practical Great Loop stuff that for you know for those of you who are a little bit more uh, technical oriented as far as wanting to read to learn how. That's in there too <laughs> so you kind of can't lose so um bruce and maggie tate thank you so much for joining me today um it's just lovely to catch up with you after uh, first meeting you actually out there on the loop and i wish you the best of success with the book thank you so much
2: thank you so much and kim thank you for what you do to make this all possible
0: oh it, it is my pleasure I, I absolutely love what i do so i am fortunate in that respect Um, Thank you both again. And thanks to everyone who's watched or listened to this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Great Loop Radio podcast. Until then, safe cruising.